podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, I'm Sai, and welcome to episode number 15 of the Danny Button Fight Show, only on Ace Podcast Nation. We've got podcasts, series, and content on all sorts of subjects, from films and TV, conspiracy theories, football, mixed martial arts, combat sports, uh, what else have we got? Mental health, as well as our unique series, My Story, where we take our guests through their life and career or unscripted and uncensored, where the questions and the talking points are completely in the hands of the people and the fans of the particular guest for that episode. I've done recent episodes with... I've recorded a recent episode with the Cage Warriors, uh, flyweight champion contender, Luke Shanks, which will be out uh, probably this Sunday. I've done also shows with Heidi the Body Pimblet. Danny Button, uh, Lee Remedios, Rodri Giggs, and many others for that show, uh, that series. Uh, for the My Story series, we've done so far released three episodes with the the most recent coming out last Sunday with the WBO world, former WBO world champion Robbie Regan. Uh, previous episodes before that was with former Wales international Reese Weston and controversial England cricketer Mr. Chris Lewis. So uh, check them out. All of our shows are available. Video format, if that's what you prefer, youtube.com slash acepodcastnation. Please subscribe as that's the uh, the best, most effective way to support the channel. And uh, you can find the audio versions of everything at all the usual podcast and radio apps. So today I'm going to be joined in just a second by uh, Mr. Danny Batten, former Cage Warriors champion. MMA legend, uh, and we're going to talk UFC 3, we're going to talk Joe Calzaghe versus Roy Jones Jr., and the one nearly one and a half hours of uh, Royce Gracie versus, I can't pronounce his first name, Sakuraba from Pride, <laughs> Pride 2000, which was an absolute war, uh, and it's very interesting to watch, even if maybe the the levels not quite up to what we're used to seeing in current current day uh, MMA, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting back on the boxing train as well. Uh, so yes, joining me, Mr. Danny Batten. Welcome, my friend. How are you? Hey, you're right, sir. I'm all doing good. I hope you're doing just as well. Yes, yes, not too bad, not too bad at all. Is uh, it's almost becoming normality now, isn't it? Just uh, this yeah. lockdown business, which is scary, I suppose, in itself that it's becoming the norm yeah but i bet you everyone's gardens are looking better than they've ever looked because we've all got time to tender to them haven't we yeah that's it clean houses clean clean gardens clean cars everything but yeah it's a strange situation i suppose but um well what did you what did you make of our of our classic combat sports viewing this week overall uh yeah not really enjoyed enjoyed it um you know I used to be really heavily into boxing anyway, so I enjoyed watching the boxing. Um, 
and UFC. Uh, this wasn't the best UFC that mm. um, we've seen. I, I preferred the other previous two that we have seen previous. Um, you know, but but it had the single best fight that I liked on there, the one with Chemo and Hoist. I think that was the had the single best fight that I've seen out of the you know first three sure. UFCs. But um, overall, it was the poorest event. Yeah, it was weird when with all the alternates and and the and the standard and just a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, uh, so here's a question for you. Um, obviously, up to the chemo chemo fight, uh, Royce Gracie had looked pretty much unstoppable, um, yeah. and then chemo took him very very close. Um, yeah. Before he was tapped out to an armbar. Um, yeah. Do you think that's where uh, the kind of aura around Royce Gracie changed in that fight, even though he still won? Um, I think for the first time it had given people hope and probably the realisation that he was just only human. Um, I think that he had destroyed everyone so convincingly, um, you know, previous to, to that fight. You know, there was still that stigma that he was going to do the same no matter who he was up against. And, and he hadn't had much cage time at all in the entire no, leading no, up to chemo. Um, so, yeah, I do think they started to realise... Um, you know, the horse was well, well beatable. Especially yeah, well, it's open weight still, and he's not a big guy. Yeah. Well, as I said to you, actually, um, the, you know, the, obviously the one where he goes out of the tournament, he, um, he looks absolutely as if he's going to pass out. Whereas, yes. um, obviously this was in, I think it was 94, September 1994. Yeah. Um, obviously in the year 2004, uh, Sakuraba and they went an hour and a half and he didn't even mm. look as tired as he did from a four minute round uh, yeah. with Kiba so it's, it's interesting yeah there's a reason behind that pretty much and you've got to remember the, the UFCs were pretty much all they had to go on regards to experience and, and at, at each fighter knowing that had to go through rounds uh, try to get the fights done as quick as possible and, um, and I think that's why you saw Hoist gas because he was really trying to rush with a big, strong guy. That although he weren't well versed on the ground, um, he he was aware of what Hoist had up his sleeve, and um, and I think that made Hoist sort of sprint with Kima. Um, whereas with Sakuraba, it's a very, very slow. Uh, Sakuraba did it with um, Hoyler, a very, very slow pace. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't such a rush. There was waiting opportunities and yeah, very, very different. So there's a lot more evolution. It, it happened many, many years after uh, UFC one, two, and three. Indeed. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting to watch. Um, and I think in that Royce Gracie fight, you saw that um, even the Gra uh, the Gracies tried to change the way they fought. Mm. Um, you know, they, they, they were clearly aware that MMA was changing because you yes. saw um, a lot of like high kicks, trips, low That's kicks, right. yes. strikes. He did a bit of boxing. That's something you hadn't seen in, yeah. you know, in all the UFCs we've watched so far, in, you know, in this current uh, run of watching the classic ones. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll spin back to that. Just before we go into the Joe Kazagi and Roy Jones Jr. fight from uh, 2008, um, yeah, did want to just touch on something. Obviously, when we spoke last week, uh, there was a lot of news and rumours going around that uh, Cage Warriors and well, the UFC had a plan to put on live shows. Uh, Dana White had basically 
they were describing it as a private island. Uh, and then there was a, a rumour which kind of piggybacked onto the back of that where Graham Boylan said that cage warriors would have provisions to put on a show. I would assume, you know, because UFC has obviously got that deal with cage warriors for fight pass for the shows. I would mm. assume that it was the similar, you know, if not the yeah. same place um, so that they could put, you know, they want content for fight pass, don't they? Um, so it would make sense that they would help yeah. cage warriors put shows on. Uh, only for a couple of days later for it to all fall apart because uh, the top executives from Disney and ESPN stepped in and told Dana to basically stand down. Uh, they don't, you know, it's not a good look, etc. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because I understand why Dana White wants to put on those live shows. Apart from, you know, when you, I'm not talking necessarily about TV rights and all the different things which obviously would be beneficial to him in terms of putting on live shows. Obviously, that's better for him. Um, I'm more referring to he's well aware that a lot of fighters, if not all fighters, do not get paid if they are not fighting. Um, right. You know, Not all fighters have got sponsorships with Reebok or Adidas or, you know, whoever. Um, particularly fighters in Cage Warriors and stuff like that. A lot of them... Uh, I've got day jobs, which they might not be able to work at the moment. Yeah. Um, or a lot of them, Luke, Luke Shanks mentioned in my interview with him that um, a lot of the, the the Cage Warriors guys, they do like security at nightclubs and stuff like that because mm. it makes sense. It's easy. They can train and then they can go and work there late at night. Um, but obviously, pubs, clubs, all closed. So they're not getting any money from that. Particularly when you look at someone like Luke Shanks, for instance, just he went through a massive, like a three month fight camp or however long it is, um, ready for a fight. His fight got called off, so he didn't get the, you know, the win bonus, fight of the night, whatever you would get from mm. the fight. And then he also can't work his security job. So having a card yeah. on a private island for Cage Warriors would, would be the, exactly what he would need to. You know, get that money coming in because he's for what he explained. You know, he's down because he took three months off work to train, so he didn't get paid during that time. Then he's gone, obviously, uh, looking for the fight. The fight's been called off, so he hasn't got his money from that. And then yeah. now, obviously, he's not working. It's it's very difficult, yeah. and that's the side of fighting which people don't see as well. I think. Yeah, Luke Shanks, unfortunately, was double whammied. Like you say, he was preparing for a few months, you know, which takes money and it takes resources to do so and uh, never ended up getting his fight to go ahead. So, you, you know, he's financially out of pocket. And also with the climate now with no work, uh, he continues to be unemployed. You know, it's not, not easy for him. Um, but here's the conundrum you have. Okay, if you do put fight events on, on this island, how do the athletes train? How do they get ready for it? Well, uh, apparently they were going to fly them out in, pri in private jets. Right. Um, the the hotel staff were all going to be tested and tested regularly after that. Um, they right. were going to fly them out before, you know, like uh, two weeks before the fight or whatever, or whatever the, um, you know, the duration was. Right. Um, and they were going to be able to train on the island right. before the fight then they were going to obviously go into the, the into the card. It's got right. all sorts of problems. And at the end of the day, as much as I want to see live shows, 
as much as more than I want, more than I want to see live shows. I want all these fighters to be looked after and I want these fighters to mm. be able to fight and to be able to, you know, pay their bills and provide yeah. for their families and earn money. I want that more than I want, you know, I live shows. But you have to realize in the current climate, um, I don't think it was the best look for the UFC to be trying to mm. force through these live shows because you know the world's on lockdown. Everyone's yeah. a bit edgy. Maybe it's yeah. not the best idea at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't know what to say because you know one one side of me wants to see something going ahead and still moving forward, but you know, is it fair? Um, it seems a very complicated process to, to make happen. I mean, if anyone's going to do it, Dana White could do it. I, I'm sure he could pull it off if he if he got the go-ahead to do so. But, yeah, I don't know really how well the fighters would really be able to prepare. I mean, okay, a few weeks on the island before the fight event, but they, they need a six- to eight-week training camp. They can get themselves fit and they can get themselves strong, but they ain't going to get the sparring in. Um, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know, would you get the best of the fighters that way? Um, I think we should all hang on, sit tight, and, um, you know, let the process take effect, uh, regards the lockdown to take effect, to get the deaths down to an acceptable number, um, hopefully down to, to nothing. And so we can open up and try to get all our lives, get the fight shows all back on track. And it's going to take a little while, but I just think we've gone this far with the lockdown. I think we should just all continue with it across, across the globe as best as we can. Just, just to get what needs to be done, done. Yeah. Spot on mate. I think um, the most important thing is trying to make, make sure as many people survive it as possible. Um, mm. And for, at the moment, those numbers are creeping up, particularly in America. They're very high. Italy, yeah. Spain, I know there's been a couple of days, odd days in Italy and Spain where the deaths have gone down, but generally, particularly okay and and America, they're still creeping up uh, each day. Yeah. That yeah. should be the focus of you know of everyone at the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I, I agree. Um, you know, no one realised how potentially bad this could be um, or has been. Um, like even I was unsure. I mean, a, a good number of weeks ago, you know, we were still keeping our gym open. And, um, yeah. and, you know, because I didn't really know what scale this was going to expand into. But, you know, once the reality started really hitting home and then we got advised to, to shut on that Friday, um, I think the reality started really hitting home for myself as well. And um, but once I see that what I think is the right direction, I'm all for it. And uh, so now I'm like, right, OK, we just got to tough this out. It's going to be hard. It's going to break some backs, I'm sure. Um but, you know, we could all dust ourselves off afterwards and, and move on. But for those unfortunate people who get it and die, you know, not just those lives have been lost, but all the lives that it affects, it's a harsh, harsh situation. So we just need to make it less harsh uh, by doing what needs to be done with this lockdown. Simple as. Absolutely. The, um, the harshest yeah. part of it is that these people who are dying, they're dying alone uh, in terms yeah. of, you know, in terms of family members i know like nurses and mm. doctors are same with them and stuff but and then when they are dying people can't you know your your family can't go and say goodbye they can't yeah crazy body it's scary not, not not 
not a nice uh, ending situation for anyone. Um, quite cruel. No, indeed. It's uh, yes, right. So let's uh, let's get into the the combat sports. Or actually, let's before we do um, today's show is brought to you by Away Day Apparel. Away Day Apparel is a group of casually obsessed football fans. They're looking to bring something different to the wardrobes of like-minded people. They're taking over the casual scene with their trendy and smart clothing. They have T-shirts, hoodies, jackets, a new range of limited edition bobble hats, although it's a bit sunny for that at the moment. But, you know, we all know that the sun will not last. So get them in while you can, limited edition. You can visit their website at uh, awaydayapparel.co.uk and you can also follow them on social media, Twitter at awaydayapparel, Instagram at awayday underscore apparel. 2020 will still be a very exciting year for the brand uh, and even a global pandemic cannot stop their growth. It will only slow it down. And especially for viewers and listeners of Ace Podcast Nation, you can go to that website and when you go to pay, Type in the code AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase, and you will get 10% off your all orders. AA Podcast Nation, all in lowercase. And we thank them for sponsoring the show and supporting the channel like they do. So let's go. We'd have to get you an away day apparel t shirt, shouldn't we? We should get you one, really. Yeah. Oh, done it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You'd have to send me, tell me your size and your address after, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll sort that out for you. Um, yeah, sure. No, thank you. What can we do? Right, so let's start with the boxing. Joe yeah. Galzaghi's final fight, final professional fight. Um, amazing, really. Uh, he went into this fight 45-0, and 0, uh, yeah. 32 by knockout. There's obviously been criticism. There was criticism of Joe. Uh, just for maybe fighting people uh, past their prime, maybe, or on their way mm. sort of towards the end of their career. But yeah. you can only beat what's in front of you. Um, and Roy Jones, Roy Jones Jr. was in by no means, uh, you know, coming to the end of his career in terms of, uh, you know, he went, I think he went on to fight a fair few, fair few times after this. Yeah, and yeah. Um, he is perfectly, perfectly capable fighter, very, very good fighter. Yes. Um, we obviously it was Madison Square Garden. We didn't know that this was going to be Joe Calzaghi's last fight at the time. He only announced yeah. it about a, six months later, I think, or maybe even a right. year later. Yeah. But uh, tell me about before we go into the fight. Like, just tell me about uh, Joe Calzaghi as a boxer generally, and also how difficult it is to go through your career and be finish your career forty six and zero. Yeah, I mean that that you don't really hear much about that, but that that is you know so impressive. It really is, um, and yeah, I'm in the same you know spot. I'm not don't crit- criticize Joe Kawasaki for fighting these guys, um, unless you know slightly going you know past their their their, their absolute peak, um, but they were still very very good boxers in their own right. Uh, you know Hopkins and and uh, and Jones. <clears throat> um, but you can't take anything away from from Joe Kawasaki. I mean, he predominantly just trained in Wales and, and with his dad, uh, and that's what makes that even more impressive. The fact yeah. that you know he really did it his own way, 
and yeah. didn't deviate from it. Didn't have any distractions. He'd run in the hills and mountains in Wales, and um, you know kept himself very grounded at home base, literally home base. You know where he's from, and um, that's what makes this even more impressive. You know he didn't go trying to get his skill sets from different coaches and that he just stuck true from start to finish. Um, and and that, that's really quite something. Um, and, you know, as an actual boxing technician, uh, you know, he, he threw some really unorthodox looking hooks all the way through his career. Like elbows really low tight against the body, almost like slapping shots. Um, not quite how you would see, you know, um, most other boxers box. Um that's what, that's what I initially said, but he'd come with a really good combination of um, being a bit of southpaw, having extremely good cardio and and really um, high fight IQ. I think yes. in combination, that's what made him so, so difficult. Just that, that incredible work rate. And he's so good at recovering from um, concussive shots. He, he shakes it off really, really quick. He don't seem to suffer, um, you know, being rocked. Or, or, or days, he seemed to recover very, very quickly. In fact, it seems to not, you know, switch him on and, and, and make him come alive even more so. It just seems to make him uh, a worse adversary when you hurt him. Yeah. Um, fight IQ, that's something uh, which you've discussed a lot, uh, you know, over the over the 15 or so shows we've done. Um, and it, funny enough, that came up again in my show with Luke and it came up with my show in with Tom mm. Mearns. Um, and they all said that that's something that you bring to the table as a coach mm. is the like your strategies and your just your fight IQ and the yeah. the kind of psychological side of fighting, which maybe mm. some coaches don't uh, you know don't focus on as much. Um, yeah. When you say like Joe Calzaghi's fight IQ is is very impressive, what mm. uh, sort of things do you think make it? So, um, so you, you know, there's it, another for that. So he got rocked very early in that first round, and um, and, and then he started, you know, then he started playing a really tight, smothering game. He, he started pressing Jones up against the ropes in the corner. So you know, he, he, he just so when someone else maybe get hurt, another boxer might get hurt. He might, um, you know, completely cover up or, or throw panic shots. He didn't yeah. do that. He, he just played really, really close, almost head to head um, in a way where he's really effective and, and Roy Jones just was not uh, able to be effective. You know, so he, he adapts to the circumstance. Um, yeah, he, he just seems to have a really good sense of boxing, how his opponent wants him not to box. He looks like he makes it awkward for anyone and everyone that he goes up against. Um yeah, yeah, he's he's just he's good. He's just very, very aware um, of all the potential dangers. Um, he, he's both keeps himself very, very safe because he's only really been hurt in in a few fights. I don't think he's been hurt too many times in in the whole Not of his fight enough. career. So he, he, he fights very, very safe, but also you know, quite aggressively. Not with concussive single shots, but aggressively with the the multitude of strikes. I mean, it's, it's his work ethic. It obviously comes in with, with incredible um, cardio. But I think part of that's down to the fact that he don't throw full mechanically wound up punches. He kind of peppers and, and, and pops his shots rather yeah. than bang and swing. He, Do you know what's interesting about that? Sorry to interrupt mm. you, mate. I was just going to say, what's interesting about that is um, it's something which I know. It's like you mentioned 
a few minutes ago about he seems like he's some of his shots are like slapping shots almost. Yeah. Um, and like you just said there, he's, he tends to be uh, peppering guys with shots rather mm. than fully wound up big shots. Yeah. Yeah. Out of those 46 victories, he won by a knockout 32 times, which is an incredible, uh, sure. you know, statistic that with that style, he still KO'd 32 of 40, 46. Yeah, okay, so you can look at this like your opponent's a big boulder. You've got two ways of going about it. Hit it with a sledgehammer, or you can go up, uh, up to it with a hammer and chisel. Hammer yep. and chisel still do the job. It just does it over a lot more uh, impacts. And that's kind of like how he went about it. So, yeah, I'm not surprised he knocked people out because, you know, his um, shots become uh, accumulative. So yeah. once you keep on peppering someone up, and he works the body a lot, particularly in this fight, once you become tired, your chin starts to drift up and it becomes more of an easy target. It don't take much to knock someone out once their chin starts drifting up and it's a bit of an exhaustion setting in because you can't ride the, the, the punch so well. And, um, and I think that's why his uh, knockouts are so you know, impressive overall is because he literally just punched you into submission. I just think he, you know, it was probably never really one single shot that ended it. Yeah. But it was a single shot that was then followed up by another 8, 9, 10, 11 shots. That's the kind of thing I think was finishing people when he's up against them. He's literally exhausting them and, and um, outworking them and um, punching them into submission. Yeah, yeah we've um, we talked yeah, we've talked about um, body shots a lot recently and, le- mm. and leg kicks um, and the cumulative yeah. damage that they do later on, you know, later on in a fight. Um, mm. And and the other thing as well is obviously Conor McGregor um, famously said that uh, pre- precision and timing beats speed, I think it was, or yeah. power and speed or something. But obviously, like you say, when that chin does come up, when you're as accurate as Joe Karzaghi is, you mm. don't need much of an opportunity to hit that, you know, that bullseye, if you like. Uh, yeah. So as soon as it does become, uh, you know, a, a viable target, it's pop, pop, bang. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, you could kind of see that prime spot on the chin to knock someone out, like trying to hit the bullseye on a dartboard. Mm. If you've only got three darts to do it, you might not do it. But if you've got 20 darts, you're probably going to do it. And, and that's what it is with his punches. He's throwing so many of them per round that when the chin does drift up, he's got a good chance of landing on it several times with that accumulative amount of shots. And, uh, and like I say, that accumulative amount of shots and hitting the body creates that exhaustion, the pressure. And um, well, once you get under a bit of pressure and you get a bit tired, your form starts to waver. And when your form wavers, your chin comes up. And uh, yeah, I think this has been the secret to his success. Indeed. Um, okay, so rather than go through, uh, obviously, all 12 rounds, blow by blow, I think we'll kind of just touch skim on up. each round. Yeah. Yeah, skim through each sure. round. I want to talk about it because... Um, our boxing uh, kind of coverage has been well received, so okay. I'd like to, you know, really go into a bit of detail with it without going blow by blow for twelve rounds, because obviously, yeah. people, a lot of people will have seen it before and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So round number one, uh, Joe Kazaki got knocked down in round number one, which you know was a bit of a shocker. 
Yeah, yeah, it was, and and it's a little bit un, un, it was a little bit unclear. It's only when they did the slow mo that you can actually see what happened. It actually wasn't even a legit. Yeah, it wasn't even a legit punch. And I don't know whether you was listening to the commentary, but it was extremely biased for Jones. Um, you know, yeah, they, they, they love the Americans. Really, love the the one sided yeah. commentary. Yeah, 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 and it was really quite bad. Um, it was only from round four that they started to change tact and um, start calling the fight as it was. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, it was kind of a bit ugly. The uh, comment commentary. I mean, if you wasn't watching the fight and you actually were listening to it old school, like through a radio, you would think there's a very, very different fight happening to what you know. To what was really happening um, if you were there. Um, but, he, but yeah, even did, in that first got, round, gone, gone. Yeah, he, he, he did get knocked down, but I think he only got knocked down because it was the, the, the firm part of the wrist and forearm that caught him. I think that's the only reason he was rocked. I think if it landed with the point of the glove, it, it probably wouldn't have done so. I just think it's unfortunate. Yeah, I think so. And I think even though Joe got knocked down, he nailed some nice body shots uh, and his, he got his jab working early on. Mm. Um, so it was, it's almost deceptive when mm. you read uh, Joe Calzaghe got knocked down in the first round, because actually yeah. if you take that knockdown out, because it was a forearm, yeah. um, Joe Calzaghe did a very, very good, his, he had good footwork, his jab was working and he did yeah. have, when he got, Jones into the corner. He hit him, was hitting him nicely in the ribs with some big body shots. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, nothing fight ending, but mm. I, fe I felt like Joe started well, uh, mm. particularly his footwork. You could really see, and he gets, um, when he does get him in the corner the second time with about a minute 20 to go, um, mm. he gets him in the corner, he hits him with a one two into each side of his ribs, and then he hits a big right hook to the uh, side of. Uh, I nearly said Bernard Hopkins, uh, Roy Jones Jr. head, and then literally straight after when they come out of the corner, Jones tries to tie up into clinch straight away. Yeah, because yeah. I think not that it was a big shot, but I think that he felt you know he needed that break after the first yeah, round, sure. and perhaps, yeah. perhaps I think after he got, got the knockdown, maybe he got a bit. Uh, well, the knockdown it comes right at the end of the round anyway. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I and you know. Joe Kazagi looks annoyed than hurt, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he really comes. He really just goes to work. Um, you know, and you know, other than that, that knockdown. You know, that was going more in Joe. Uh, it was going in Joe Kazaki's way more than it was. Yeah, I thought uh, Jones. Um, it's only because he got that knockdown. What scored? It actually shouldn't have even scored as a knockdown. I'm sure that that wouldn't be the case if they no. knew, or oh. if the ref saw it landed with the forearm. But, um, and even with yeah. 15 seconds to go, Joe nails him with a couple of uh, couple of left yeah, and a right hook. He does. So he, he just goes straight. Yeah, they, they they go at it really well in that in that in that first round. But um, mm. you know, um, I think the, the judges had the second round going in favour of Jones, but I didn't see it. I I really thought that you started seeing a real pattern um, emerge. And again, it's you know we talk about that fight. Okay, I just think he had a plan to really press Jones hard um, and, and to be really smothering, really work weight orientated so that Jones couldn't be sharp because Jones, Jones is all about single shot precision. And, and then, then he just gets so pretty with his creation. He never allowed him space to be creative. And Jones worked his body from round one. I'm sorry. Joe, Joe Kazaki worked Jones's body from round one. 
and and the theme stayed throughout. He really did pepper him up. Nothing hugely con concussive to the body, but it just constant shots to the body. And he would normally always work it from that um, corner or up against the, the the ropes. He was able to push Jones back constantly. Yeah. So so in the in the second round, with about a minute and a half to go, mm. when uh, Joe Calzaghe gets him in the corner. He's yeah. hitting him with these huge body shots mm. either side, bang, bang. Yeah. And then every time he does it, he puts his face right in like yes. that. Yes, yeah, yeah, this As is what I mean. he's saying to Roy Jones, you know, take your best shot. Yeah. Encouraging yeah. him because, and that's what I mean. I, mean, I think he was irritated by the knockdown, whether mm. he realised it wasn't a legit knockdown at the time, I have no idea. But but he went in there and he, um, you know, when you consider this is Joe Gazaki's last fight, this is not a guy who's on his uh, on his way out. No, if you get what I mean, you know, it's he not like Joe Kazagi retired because mm. he was starting to, you know, struggle and just win fights. Um, mm. And I got to say, I thought the first two rounds comfortably went to Joe Kazagi, but like you said, I think the judges had round two go into. Uh, yeah, I, I just didn't see it. Roy Jones. I, I, I just saw I saw Jones getting outworked. Yeah, um, and some big body shots. Yeah, and I was a little bit baffled. You know, Jones has got some slick, slick footwork, but um, he just seemed to accept the ropes and accept the corner. You know, it wasn't even just ropes he was going up against. He's actually getting backed into corners. And um, mm. and Joe Kozaki, he was using him like like a punch bag training session. It was quite impressive. Yeah, it's strange one, isn't it? The way that he went about it. Um, yeah. What did you make of the the third and fourth round, Matt? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the third round was really just the observation of how much he was going to 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 the to the body, um, and it was just constantly backing Jones up, which is you know something that I just stated just now, which really become a theme for the whole fight. Um, and you know there was an interesting statistic uh, that the commentators pointed out that um, uh, you know over the last two rounds. Uh, Joe Kawasaki landed 74 strikes to Jones's 27 that over massive, over those man. last two rounds, over that rounds three and four. I mean, that's that's huge. <laughs> that's really not even remotely close, is it? No, not remotely close. And um, so you've got to wonder why Jones weren't trying to meet him pace on pace. You know, was it those body shots hitting home? Do you have a little bit of a cardio issue going on? Um, or, or mm. Yeah, I don't know what it was. Or did he... You know, we, we're not in there, but, you know, I do know what it's like going up against really good strikers. You know, whenever I do sparring, which ain't very often these days, with someone like Jordan. I mean, Jordan's a proper top-level striker. It's not a comfortable experience with the range. You just know they've got good range. And uh, so whether, whether Jones was just, you know, feeling completely uncomfortable in there, because... Yeah, Joe Kawasaki was... Yeah, Joe was doing what Jones has done to so many other opponents. Literally, you know, single shot him, um, pepper them up with, with with flurries, and always play it safe. And that's what Joe Kawasaki was doing to to Jones. Um, I just think His Jones was perhaps it was exceptional. Yeah, I think Jones was perhaps banking on Joe Kawasaki slowing up. And um, although that did happen in with a couple of rounds, um, it was never slowing down enough for Jones to to counterattack. Because I think he already had a potential counterattack punched out of his ribs with the body shots. Do you um, do you think he was surprised with how uh, with Joe Kazagi's speed? Um, yes. Because I'm like I'm looking at round the end of round three now, 
And then um, the one thing, Roy Jones Jr. doesn't seem to be able to cope with the 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 speed of thought, the mm. speed of footwork, the speed yeah. of hands. Everything is just too quick. He's not able to do anything in time. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And Joe Kazagi, every time he lands like a couple of combinations, he puts his face right in like that. As yeah, if yeah, to yeah. say, come on, give me your best yeah. shot. And he just, well, Roy Jones Jr. looks yeah. a bit lost. Yeah, Roy Jones, what he's doing was he was quite upright when Kawasaki was going on him. He's going quite upright and almost leaning back. And, of course, if you put your head forward into someone who's leaning back, it's hard for them to retract back again. You know, you know where, where are you going to go with your head? So it kind of invades your space, it invades your territory, it makes you stay leant back. So, of course, if your head stooped forward and you're putting it underneath the, the face of your opponent and they're leaning back, they ain't got no power on their shots to counter. And you can carry on flowing your flurries. He knew by putting his head right in the face of, of Jones that he was going to be postured at a position to counter. Um, and, and again, it goes down to that fight IQ. He knew what he was doing with that. It was done for a reason. And I think for someone of Roy Jones Jr.'s stature and uh, you know his, his career and how successful he was, that must have been quite antagonising, quite frustrating. He probably hasn't had many fighters do that sort of thing to him, you know, in no, his face, absolutely, like I agree. That, and almost in a mocking way. Um, yeah. Round four, I thought Roy Jones Jr. did try and start moving his feet a bit quicker, but he still yeah, got, it, you know, at the end of round four, finishes with him trapped in the corner, taking these big body shots and jabs. And it's. Yeah, it looked like he was uh, feeling out to go about the, the, the rest of the fight in a different way. Um, but uh, mm. I think like that door got shut on him quite quick, quick and you're right. Um, as the round progressed, uh, Jones has found himself literally in the corner uh, and that corner, <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't wear the canvas out. They ended up in that corner so much throughout the fight. Uh, yeah. It seemed to be the same corner he went back to. Um, and I, like I said, I'll just go back to what I said. I'm really surprised he didn't use more footwork um, and try to play a little longer to try to get those single shots off. Because um, Jones is so so sharp with those single shots, I think that's where he stood most chance of uh, potentially starting something, you know, a spark into a fire, with with the chance of trying to now uh, Joe Kawasaki. But he got his work really crowded, partly because he gives himself no footwork options because he was in a corner. I mean, it, at least if you're just on some ropes, you can try and you know footwork off the ropes to try to mm. you know reverse the situation. Yeah, when you're in a corner, you can't circle it. You've got to punch your way out. But you, you can only punch your way out if it's safe to do so. Joe Kozaki was making it so it was hardly ever an opportunity uh, in between the punches to get out without taking a barrage of shots. So when, you, you know, when he went to the corner like that, maybe he was wanting to go to the corner, try and shell up and try and you know, conserve some energy, try and go on a counterattack. But Joe, uh, Joe Kozaki worked that body so much. Like I say, I just felt like he was punching any potential counter out from his ribs, out from his lungs. The um, so moving into the fifth round, the fifth, the start mm. of the fifth round, um, the whole the minute and a half of the first uh, fifth round is astounding to me because, um, like mm. you say, at the end of the fourth, I thought, oh, maybe Roy Jones Jr. is going to change his game plan a little bit here. Yeah. He seems to be trying to move a bit quicker. Maybe he's yeah. going to try and alter something. And then the mm. first minute and a half of the fifth round, Joe Kazaki uh, hits three or four jabs with his left and right jabs, just using the distance, pushes him right back into that corner again. Yeah. Hits him with a barrage of body shots, then hits him with a load of uh, head shots. Then, as Roy Jones Jr. kind of circles out of the corner, 
Kazagi takes him into the other corner, does the same mm. thing. Yeah. Load yeah. of body shots. And I was thinking, well, are they gonna do they're gonna go from corner to corner and he's just gonna yeah. take these shots. Um mm-hmm. he took some massive body shots in this fight. I gotta say, he took some real big shots. But yeah. to me, um, like sorry, um just I'm on my screen now. There's forty seconds left of the fifth round. And yeah. there's no way to me that any of these rounds have gone to Roy Jones Jr. No, absolutely. Now, bearing He's in mind good. that, so if I'm watching this live, sorry, mate, again. Um, if it. I was watching this live, it's a 12-round fight. And Joe Kazagi's won five rounds already. So that's if this mm. is a split decision, someone's got to tell me that one of these judges is telling me that Roy Jones Jr. is going to win the next seven rounds. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, because that's it, just absolutely... It's just, not going to happen, uh, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, to me, th- these rounds are not even close. Um, you just never really seen Jones hurt. That's that's the thing. But he was nevertheless been uh, having a boxing demo put on him. Um, yeah, Jose, he just was not doing anything singularly concussive to, to knock him out. Um so you've got to try and give it to Jones. Really, Cumulative, re- yeah, yeah. To receive the amount of blows he did, and he had a nasty cut over his eye as well. Um, I think the cut did that come in round five, actually. I can't yes, remember just when he was the cut. Yeah, um, that cut looked quite troublesome. Yeah, it was really running into his eye, but um, you know, never really showed that he was ever really wobbled, and he never really winced at the body shots. Clearly, the body shots must have been having some kind of effect on him because. You know, he really didn't throw that many shots as I know that he has thrown in previous uh, fights. Um, so they must have been having an effect on him, but he really rode out the, the punishment really quite well. But it's, that's not going to win you a fight, being in, <laughs> me no. looking at it, being impressed of how yeah. well he soaked it up. <laughs> yeah. You could take a punch. But, yeah. um, and to, uh, right at the, where's the bell goes in round five? Uh, Joe Kazagi literally puts his face right up to uh, Roy Jones Jr.'s face mm. and laughs in it, laughs in his yes. face because mm. that's how confident he's feeling. He's just, yeah. in his mind, he's just won five rounds clearly. Yeah. And he's almost saying, you know, is that what you, is this what you've got? Because if this is all yeah. you've got, I'm going to mm. cruise this. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah. we had the, uh, the American judges in the Madison Square Garden. Um, you just never know. Um, and I think even a split decision was a bit, uh, what can we say? Ropey, maybe? But Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's go. You tell me about round six and seven. Did yeah. anything change? Yeah, round six, uh, you know, just saw more, more of the same thing. Um, Jones did land a really good uppercut uh, that could have been something that started a, a wobbly affair for Joe Kawasaki. But, you know, Joe sucked it up really well. Um, they was fighting a little bit more outward this time as well. Um, you know, Joe Kazaki was getting him in a corner, wasn't he? But they did, you know, in the sixth round, there was a little bit more outward. Um, you know, a little bit yeah, more, a bit more distance between them. Yeah, there? a little bit more distance between them. Um, I think maybe that, that was perhaps Joe Kawasaki's way of saying, yeah, okay, you're not going to predict what I'm going to do every round to set me up for something. Um, perhaps kept Jones guessing. Um so he did still get him in the corner. Jones settled for the corner. He seemed to get comfortable there. Um, but rather than work the body, it looked like Joe Kawasaki was trying to uh, just hit him with single and doubles to the head. Yeah, just keeping Jones guessing, I guess you would say. But 
another that sixth round, uh, another round that I strongly contest went in, uh, you know, in Joe's favour. Um, if that seventh round, you just see uh, Jones start a little slower, though. Uh, sorry, yeah, Joe Kawasaki start a little slower. Um, um, and I was thinking, well, maybe this ferocious pace might t- start taking hold and maybe we'll see some of the rounds getting a little closer. But um, it was nothing more than a little respite for Joe Kawasaki before he went back on another little rampage um, past the halfway point in that seventh round. Um, yeah, t- t- another two rounds go to Joe Kawasaki. Um, oh, there you are. Sorry. Um, so I just uh, they just flashed the rounds up because um, obviously as we we put the screens on so we can remind ourselves of it. Um, I just wanted mm. to have a look at that. Um, I'm sure that just said it was the judges or the pundit, maybe the pundits who were doing the TV, mm. which so would I'm watching a HBO stream. So it's the American right. uh, pundits who are doing it. They gave uh, the first two rounds to uh, Roy Jones Jr., which I find absolutely, I just find that yeah. astounding. Like I, yeah, you know, I get that there's a bit of bias and a bit of, uh, you know, hometown. It's American mm. TV, and they don't want to, uh, you know, they don't want to sort of, they or they want to support the hometown guy. So mm. yeah, they did a ten-eight round to Jones in the first round. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. you know, obviously you had the knockdown, but outside yeah. of that knockdown, which wasn't um, a legitimate knockdown mm. anyway, um, I'd argue that. Kazagi dominated that round. Yeah. I don't know if you see yeah, that yeah, different. I yeah, I saw it the same way as you did. Um, I was left scratching my head a little bit. I mean, you, you, you do understand there's going to be a little bit of bias, but 10 a bit of bias and then it's like embarrassing yourselves. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's embarrassing. Um, yeah, so yeah, they okay. gave 10 8, 10 8 first, 10 9 second. Then yeah. they gave 3, 4, 5, and 6 to Kazagi all 10 9s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd argue uh, me. Uh, I don't know. I think without a knockdown for Karzaghi, you can't really give him a ten-eight for any of them. Although, f- no, I think it no. was round four. I think you know, short of a knockdown, he couldn't mm. have done much more uh, no. in terms of dominating. Um, but yeah, d- to give, no. I think, just my opinion. Obviously, I'm I'm not a fighter. I've never been a fighter. Um, just watch a lot of fighting. Um, to give round one as a 10-8 to Roy Jones Jr., I think is scandalous. Mm. I think to give him either round one or two, just give him the round, I think is pushing it a little bit in terms of the hometown hero stuff. Yeah. But to give it as a 10-8, I think is absolutely ridiculous. I've got to say. Yeah. Yeah. But um, as well, uh, you know, uh, Jones started to look really um, sorry for himself at the end of that seventh round. Um, he started yeah, looking he like, str- like, like he was man. struggling, didn't he? Yeah, looked really blooded. Uh, it was all over his chest. Um, I mean, I was surprised he never went on some flurries of pure temper and frustration. But um, mm. you know, he, he, he particularly the way his... he was being mocked as well, wasn't it? Yeah, the way he was being was mocked. A... You think absolutely? Frustration. Um, I don't think it was distasteful. I think maybe he did no. the same gesturing, maybe a few times too many. I don't think it was too distasteful. I think Joe Kozaki was in, beginning to really enjoy himself. He yeah. felt like he knew he had it almost. Um, and uh, maybe maybe it's a little bit of frustration as well because so many people still didn't believe in him, particularly the Americans. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah sure. 
it's like he never really got the respect he deserved um, leading up to the fights. Uh, and the Americans perhaps a little bit blinded by the legacy these uh, other American boxers had, had created from themselves. Um, but, you know, Joe Kawasaki put an absolute num- number on, on, on Jones. He really did. Uh, it wasn't cl- even close. So you got to wonder, even if Jones was perhaps in his absolute peak, you know, uh, I don't think the result would have been different. I think the fight would have been different. I think he, he pr- perhaps would have met Kawasaki a little bit more fo- force on force, pace on pace. But I still don't think he would have outpaced Joe Kawasaki. I really don't. No, and I think maybe you're on to something there in terms of the the lack of respect that was shown to Joe Kazagi in the pre-fight stuff. Um, mm. And just the Americans generally, they seem to to um, like not give him the respect that he was due for his record. And yeah. then maybe the 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 kind of the the cockiness or the the mocking of Roy Jones Jr. was a bit of more directed at the the pundits, the American media and things Mm. like that to say, all right, then this is your big guy and I'm taking him apart. Um, And in terms of Roy Jones Jr. You saying he looked a bit depleted at the end of round seven. I completely agree. But uh, do you know where I think that is? I think because in his mind, he thinks this is a 12 round fight and I've just got smashed for seven rounds. So he thinks I cannot win this fight unless I knock Joe Kazagi out. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think he believes that in his head that he's got the, the whether it's the power, the ability, whatever you want to say, you know, mm. he comes at he's comes up, he's got blood all over his chest, he's got blood all over his face, and he's and mm. he's been outboxed for seven rounds. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, the only way he's winning that fight in his mind, I believe, obviously, yeah. I'm not inside his head. I think that's yeah. why he looks so depleted. I don't know what you think about that. All right, just yeah. before you answer that, um, Joe Calzaghi landed uh, in round seven, 210. Uh, on a punches through round seven, Joe Kazagi landed 210, thrown 560. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. landed 98, thrown 273. So the difference, uh, the landed wow. punches, the difference is 110, 112. <laughs> uh, in terms of thrown, the distant difference is nearly 300 punches. I mean, that's just. Massive. If you just looked at those statistics on their own, 287 more punches he threw. Yeah, I mean that's the behold. And I mean Jones is a you know an absolute legend in his own right. Yeah, mm-hmm. top level guy. And um, you know to to do that to him is you know this is what I mean with Joe Herzog. I don't feel like he ever really got the respect he deserves, even in his retirement. I mean that's that's pretty special performance, and and to do what he did to Bernard Hopkins, which is very very similar, to be fair. Um, I mean that's, that's pretty amazing stuff. It really is. Mm. I should warn you, we've been asked to cover the Joe the, the Bernard Hopkins fight next week. So, oh yeah, I, I like we, that fight. We could be in for we could be in for a double Joe Calzaghe, but I mean, no, no um, I for, I forgot. I got to be honest. You know, I'm Welsh, and I, Joe Calzaghe is one of my all time heroes. Um, I forgot how incredible Joe Kazagi was, and I watched yeah. this fight uh, yesterday, and like I watch mm-hmm. it again now, and I can feel the the hairs on the back of my neck standing up as mm-hmm. I haven't got the sound on, so I can't hear the roars of the crowd and the you right. know the oohs and the ahs. But what I can see is a boxing clinic. Oh um, yeah, it's impressive. So, uh, impressive all round, really is. 
Uh, so round eight, mate. What did you uh, make of that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, where have we got down here? So, um, okay. So, so, yeah, okay. So, yeah, this is another round where I see Joe come out a little slower than, than he would previous. And I think he was just, you know, trying to do it so that he could perhaps go on a little flurry, maybe to, to look to put Jones away. And um, I kind of do think that may have been his game plan with this, this round eight. Um, he was a little little bit slower, but around about that halfway point, um, he started to go on the rampage again and, and seemed to really go into him. And I think maybe that was the, the, the tact, really, was maybe to get, get a little bit of breather, um, start trying to work it hard towards the end of the round to really consolidate the round, to take another round, and to maybe see whether he could um, break Jones. But Jones, like I said, really... You know, he took the body shots really well. He had a split eye. He was taking the headshots, never really looked concussed, um, and just sucking it up some more. Uh, but, you know, just an observation, really, that Joe Kozaki was having to take out a little bit more time out um, with those massive flurries um, with a portion of the first round. Yeah, I mean, Roy Jones Jr.'s eye is bleeding all over the shop. Um, yeah. The first minute and a half, of the eighth round, Joe is like Joe Kazagi jab jab. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. clinches up, referee breaks it, jab jab, and then it's that last sort of minute or so mm. um, of the the eighth round. You get Joe Kazagi really pushing, pushing on to try and you know try and get a bit more mm. uh, meaningful shots. But I mean that first minute, a minute and a half, maybe even two minutes is like almost like clockwork. It's like jab jab, clinch. Yeah. Yeah, it's happens. just by his time. I mean, it's one of the few times you never saw the ropes on Jones's back for that first minute, minute and 15 in that round eight. Um, but then he started to wind up the pace and, um, yeah, started pushing him against the, the ropes a little bit more towards the latter part of the round. Yeah, it, he went on a flurry, I think it was in the end of round eight. Didn't he go on a flurry? Yeah, the last, yeah, sort of last like 30 last seconds. Minute, I think. Yeah, um, he started really going at him. And like I say, I think this is a little strategy maybe to see if he could break him. Mm. Well, a minute with a minute and 15 left of the round eight, uh, there's a point where the referee kind of breaks him up and Kazagi hits him with a jab. And Roy Jones Jr. almost holds his arms. He holds his, mm. like he's got him right up like that, as if he's, yeah. he did only for a split second. But he just looks a bit, I don't know, he might have just been off balance or something, you know. Right. But he just looked... Mm. Um, I don't want to use the term uh, rabbit in a headlights because that sounds a bit disrespectful, but it, that was the the instant thing I thought when I saw him with his arms up like that, as if, yeah, you know, he was like, didn't quite know where to go and what to do. Um, yeah, I yeah, think the last that's day, 30 seconds, he takes a pound in. I, I agree. And I think you're seeing that reaction. It's quite well observed uh, by you there because uh, you know, I observed it as well. And I think that's because the punches were now hurting. I think, you know, he'd been bashed about that much and that cut was quite nasty. I mean, getting punched on the cut, I mean, that must start stinging. Um, you know, he got he picked up that cut a few rounds before. Uh, OK, a bit of adrenaline will see you by on that, but the adrenaline will wear off. Um, and, and having that amount of, you know, glove touching on the cut time and time again, he's probably getting a little bit twitchy, knowing that every shot that lands hurts. Yeah, indeed. Um Goes back to what we were saying before the fight, uh, mate. Uh, your what you were saying about how Joe Kazagi just the body shots, the jab, mm. it's just over and over and over again, over and over and over again. And he wears yeah. it down and wears it down and busts you open and yeah, then yeah. takes advantage of it. 
obviously fair yeah. play to Roy Jones Jr. That even when he got split open and he's bleeding all over the shop and he's taken a pound in, in all eight rounds, in my opinion, he's lost all eight rounds. He's yeah. still going. He's still, and he still takes it the full 12 rounds. He's sure. still, you know, really, you know, he, he doesn't, um, doesn't get stopped, doesn't get KO'd. Mm. And he deserves a, a lot of credit for that. You know, Roy Jones Jr. Yeah. is an exceptional fighter, one of the best ever, really. Uh, not Maybe not like in terms of, you know, the very best, but he's mm. certainly a legend of boxing. Yeah. Um, the doctors just checked the cut between round eight and nine. Um, mm. Round nine, mm. uh, obviously, we're going in, into the last couple of rounds. Um, well, at least the HBO guys giving the rounds to Joe Calzaghe now, I think. They yeah. probably got to a point where they just realised it was embarrassing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they couldn't give him rounds on cards. But it does make you think about, the, you know, what if the judges were scoring it like that? That's how people get robbed of victories. Um, yeah. With judges, you know, scorecards like that. Um, mm. And can you imagine if they'd given this fight to Roy Jones Jr. on right. the card at the end? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, boxing has already got a bit of a dodgy name with some of the decisions that have happened yeah. over the years. It never does the sport any good. Um, you know, it does have nothing more than frustrate the fans. Um, you know, and the fans are what uphold the whole reason why these guys, these athletes, get paid so much oh, money. Yeah. Uh, you know, you want to keep you want to keep them happy by them have, at least having correct results coming out from from fights. Okay, when they're yes. close, you kind of you. You can argue. You can go either way, way. Then, can't you? Yeah, but this kind um, of performance is is not close at all. So one thing I noticed in round nine is when uh, Roy Jones is clinching up, is Joe Calzaghe's punches in the clinch were getting through to the side of his head, whereas yeah. earlier on in the fight they weren't. He was clinching mm. him tight, and he had his yeah. arm up so that he wasn't allowing uh, Calzaghe to hit those couple of punches before the referee mm. breaks him. Yeah, um, yeah, and I don't know whether that's a sign of tiredness, or that's a sign I, of you know just the overall cumulative damage, or a bit of I everything. Think, I think he, he was trying to protect himself from the body shots more, and lowering lowering the guard, lowering those um, upper arms to try and hide the ribs, mm. and it is exposing his head to more shots. You can only argue really that it, it, it was that. I mean, when someone's throwing that amount of shots on you, you know. You know, a, a body vest will only protect you from a certain amount of bullets. There's going to be, you know, a matter of shots before they eventually start penetrating. It's a little bit like that with Jones's guard. Yeah, he did have a nice tight guard, but yeah, they did start getting through. Um, when there's that many coming at you, you your, your defense is going to start to waver. Yeah, round nine, it very much feels like Kalzagi's stalking him. Um, there's one point about, I think, about a minute and a half in. Um, where Hop, uh, Jones gets him in the gets Calzaghe in the corner, and you think right this could be a chance. Yeah. And literally within seconds, Calzaghe punches his way out like a couple yeah. of body shots, turns him round, mm. and before you know it, Calzaghe's stalking him around the ring again. Mm. Um, mm. Like he, in the when they show the corners in between uh, coming into round ten, Calzaghe's almost smiling. He seems to be so relaxed and. You know, he just seems like he's having a time of his life. Yeah, Whereas yeah. he was having Roy Jones Jr. is getting, you know, iced and getting his eyebrow sorted yeah. and the blood cleared off him. Two very different corners. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Talk us through the final, uh, te- well, 10th round, and then we'll do the last two. Yeah, 10th t- round, I just, the, the biggest observation was Joe Kawasaki wasn't trying to push him into a corner or the ropes. It's now he wanted to try to hit him at range. And you know, whenever it did get close quarters, it, it was mainly left, you know, towards the centre of the ring. Um, you know, towards the latter part, he did have him on the ropes, but it didn't like he was intentionally trying to push him there. He, like, he wanted to fight a little bit more outward. And this really goes to, to, you know, to show me that I feel like Joe Kawasaki was trying to find that little distance range where he could get a little bit more hip onto the shot to maybe try and put this away. I, I don't think he wanted it to go the distance, Joe Kawasaki. He wanted to, to finish Jones. To finish you know, it, yeah, I have, think so. That would have been absolutely amazing if he had performed as he did and to put him away in those latter rounds. Um, and I think that's why we didn't see him doing that crowding type of work. I think he already done what he needed to do with that in close fighting in the corner, which was to work and dig up the body. He took took the fight out of Jones. Um, and now he was trying to fight with a little bit more range on his shots. He knew he had the better cardio, the sharper shots, the range, the flurries, and was um, trying to get something through con- uh, consequential enough to perhaps lead to, to a finish. Indeed. Um, okay, so finish us off there, mate, with the uh, rounds 11 and 12 of this uh, yeah. boxing masterclass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, much of the same thing, really. Um, you know, like I say, j- just really Joe Kosaki taking centre rather than pressing him against the ropes, um, trying to hope for a finish. Um, just as a funny observation in the round, so did you see the ref nearly slip over? I didn't know. Really that, that was in round 12. Oh, yeah, he nearly completely no, slipped over. So it's obviously a lot of sweat hmm. in getting put away. Oh, some water got spilt in one of those corners. Um, and, and the ref nearly ended up, um, you know, flat on his back rather than one of the boxes. Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was really good. There's no real urgency for Jones. Uh, this is what perhaps surprised me. I, you know, Jones still looked like he had some cardio about him, some energy about him. And you would think perhaps he'd go on a desperate fight for two rounds to try to make some kind try of knock comeback. So, yeah, to try to knock him out. He must have known he was down. He must have known he was down. And there was a lot of talking going on in his last two rounds as well. Oh, um, yeah. Jones was talking to Kawasaki, perhaps trying to talk him that you can't, you can't put me away. You, you know, that's one thing you're not going to do. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, what, what more can you say? Uh, it was a, a superb a lot performance. Of, a lot of, uh, yeah, sorry, go on. That's yeah, it's a superb performance. No, and, um, and and rounds 11 and 12, uh, very much the same thing. There's just a little bit more chatting going on. Um, but yeah, Jones looked a defeated man at this point. Bleeding. You know, not, not coming back with anything. Counter-offensive. No. Um, it looked like now he was just trying to get through uh, to the end of the fight to save some kind of face. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of fainting going on in uh, round eleven with by Joe Calzaghe. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe looking for that big shot to finish it, or yeah, I've got, you know, maybe yeah, just confident so. and comfortable. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right. Uh, so Joe Calzaghe won, I believe, it was a split decision, wasn't it? Um, I'll just double check that for factual. Uh, so the fight continues to there. It's all the way to the end of the round 12. The judges awarded uh, Kalzaghi. I do apologise. I keep kept saying it was a split decision. It wasn't. It was a unanimous unanimous decision. 
uh, ah, okay. by a, quite a wide margin, margin which is correct. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. They all had to fight 118 to 109. Right. Um, so, yeah, it was a pretty dominant display. I apologise yeah. for that. That was okay. a misread earlier. But, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, make a case to me for Roy Jones, Roy, Roy Jones winning any of those rounds. Uh, really, only the first one. If the judges, you know, score that as an official knockdown, but you know, to me, it was landed with the forearm. It shouldn't have been classed as a proper knockdown. Well, at least that's my understanding of boxing. It would have to be with the mm. actual front portion of the glove. Um, yeah, it was cuffed in the face with the the, the forearm more than anything else, and the wrist. Mm. Um, yeah, take that away. I don't think he won any round. No, me neither. How many times do you see a twelve-round fight? a title fight at that mm. um, go where the one boxer wins 12 rounds. Yeah, I, don't, I yeah. don't remember watching many fights where I've seen that. I've got to no. say. No, Normally no, no. A, the other boxer will pick up a round here and there where they go for a, you know, where they just think, oh, I'm losing. I'm going to just have a go. Um, yeah, yeah. It just didn't happen. Uh, yeah. yeah. This ultimately proved to be Joe Karzaghi's final professional bout. He announced his retirement on the 5th of February, 2009. Um, yeah, I was gutted. Yeah, i got to say, if you're going to go out on top, he couldn't have got, uh, couldn't have been much more dominant or, you know, he couldn't have been any higher, really. But um, no. Carl Froch, of course, challenged him just before his retirement. And I think he, for a couple of years, he was trying to, you know, goad him out of retirement. Um, yeah, yeah. Which... Would have been a big fight for British boxing fans, but I've got to say, I think uh, Joe Kazagi takes that. What do you think? Yeah, I I totally agree. I I think as long as Joe Kazagi was still in some form of training, if that fight come up, um, yeah, I, I think it, it was going to go Joe's way. Yeah, uh, Joe Kazagi. It was a difficult decision, but I've achieved everything that I wanted to achieve in boxing. I've been world mm. champion for eleven years. I've got no yeah, other goals wow. to go for. And that's why I'm calling it a day. And the fact mm. is, yeah. you know, the only way to go for him was down. Yeah. You see, like, I mean, so how many boxers do we see um, either make comebacks uh, time and time again or, or just don't leave the sport until their yeah. legacy has been tarnished in some way? Um, so in that aspect, it, it's really nice to see a boxer make a solid decision and, and stick by it. As much as I was a bit gutted because I used to love watching him box and I wanted and thought that he was going to go to 50 and I think that's what he's, I thought maybe that was his goal to be so close to it. Mm. Um, But, you know, it wasn't about the numbers of wins. It was about him doing what he felt was uh, enough to feel satisfied. He'd done all that he can do. Um, And, you know, maybe getting to 50 and I just wasn't part of the agenda for his goals. So I respect him for it totally. Um, Yeah. Amazing yeah, I mean, career. In terms of like what else could he have achieved? The only really thing was to go fifty and zero, but yeah. he could have also, uh, you know, if he was not motivated or if he was on the like, you know, getting old and whatever, you mm. could lose your undefeated streak. You could yeah. lose your titles. So why not yeah. go out at the very top yeah. of your game, a game you've you know a division you've dominated for eleven years with possibly one of your best performances ever against mm. a top, top boxer. What, why not go out there rather than, like you say, so many boxers go out 
uh, a shadow of their former selves. Yeah. And they get remembered for, you know, still boxing at 50 and being not great. Whereas mm. if they'd retired 15 years earlier, they'd have been remembered as true greats of the boxing game. Yeah, um, yeah. So many times we've seen this in boxing. Yeah. And um, it leaves me a little baffled because they earn so much money. It's not like it, it's a financial need to get back in there. Although I, I think some of them lead crazy lives and you, you do get the odd <laughs> exception where they, they've, you know, spent all that money somehow or been ripped off by management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I but... think that's I think that's a big thing in boxing, mine is the the promoters and the managers maybe mm. don't always have the financial mm. uh, best interests of the boxers at yeah. heart. But, yep. You know. mm. um, okay, so I'm glad we, we really talked about that in, that in detail. I enjoyed that. It was real yeah, good. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, especially because UFC three was a bit of a shit show, shall we say? Um, yeah, it, which was where on paper when I saw it, I was like, "Oh, I'm looking forward to this." Ken Shamrock was making his return. Mm. Royce Gracie was back. There was a couple of new fighters. Harold Howard, obviously, is a famous karate guy, and yeah, had, uh, Kimo Leopoldo, who um, from Taekwondo. So I was, you know, I was genuinely mm. looking forward to watching it, um, but a lot went wrong. Um, we're not going to go into the, you know, the every single uh, fight in detail. Mm. We'll kind of go through the results and then we'll talk about the the main bits. Um, so the quarterfinals were Keith Hackney, who is an American Ken Poe, beating Emmanuel Yarborough by a, by a TKO. A Yarborough is a sumo. Uh, he's a big black guy, and um, yeah, yeah, he went in there thinking he was going to throw Hackney around and dominate him. He did not. He, no, uh, he didn't. He got pummeled. But Keith Hackney broke his hands doing hammer uh, hammer fist punches to the back of it, Yarbrough's head. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, had to withdraw. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did you see... I mean, Keith Hackney's a powerful dude. Did you see the ferocity of the shots that he put in? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, I think he was playing it really quite smart. Oh, I wouldn't say it was smart or not. I mean, obviously, they he obviously trains in his martial arts system to hit with a palm. And I think that's an absolute good call to protect yourself from breaking your hand. Um, and he, he palmed Yorbera, knocked him down. I mean, what a big man as well, six foot eight. And, and oh, I can't God, remember yeah. the actual stats on the weight, but the man's enormous Huge. in body weight. But he knocked him down, um, nearly fluffed it up, didn't he? Because uh, he sort yeah. of like went in a little bit too fast and ended up, being put in turtle position with this massive man on top of him, um, throwing in strikes, but he was so fresh and quite athletic. Keith Hackney was able to get himself back up to his feet. And again, started playing a good strategy at trying to target those legs of the big man, because if you can damage the, the, the legs of a man that big, he's going to become even more yes. immobile. Um, it's going to be a sitting duck for, for whatever strikes he wants to, to put to, uh, to the guy. But um, started looking for that palm strike again. I managed to get him down again and uh, land, and, and then he had the total position on uh, Emmanuel. But he started going hell for leather into the side of the skull with really big punches. I think unnecessary amount of energy to expel for one. And with no protection on his hand whatsoever, I am not surprised that he, he broke his hand. Um, I, I just think, you know, what a crazy thing to use your palm on your feet 
to protect yourself from having a potential broken hand to then, and then close your fist and lump him up on the back of the yeah, skull. I, I think he would have been better to you know to know that he's going to hit the, the actual face with the fist, which is all all well and good, because um, obviously cheekbones, noses are going to break before your fist do. But to skull him on the side of the head of a man that size, of course the skull is going to be thick and strong. And um, I mean, I'm not surprised his hand broke. So it was a little bit baffled because you know he was targeting the legs really well, um, like he was trying to protect his attacking tools, um, but then goes and busts his hands in the ground scenario. But it was an impressive performance from um, Keith Hackney all the same. It was, um, yeah. I was disappointed know, because I thought he would... Um, I was interested to see how he would do against Ken Shamrock in the next round. Yeah, that would have been a good fight. I mean, you can argue that you know Ken was going to get it to the ground at some point, but um, it wouldn't have been completely straightforward. Uh, clearly an athletic guy and... Um, you know, with a lot of energy to expel at, the, at any opportunity when he, when Indeed, he tastes yeah. blood. Um, so the next quarterfinal was Ken Shamrock versus Christoph Leniger. Uh, it went four mm. minutes 49 uh, with Shamrock winning uh, via submission uh, punches. Um, yeah. You know, you're expecting Shamrock to go quite far in this tournament, so you'd expect him to win. And yeah. as I say, I was looking forward to a, a bout between him and Hackney in the next in the semi final, which obviously yeah. Yeah, didn't happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anything you want to say about yeah, Shamrock? Yeah, I actually thought I was really excited when I was watching this. Um, uh, I, back many years ago, when you know the, the, these tapes were still quite new, um, and I remember you know after I watched that the uh, UFC two, I was so excited to watch UFC three, and um, when I see that you know Christoph had such a huge judo background i thought wow this is going to be actually really interesting you know he's going to you know probably not have to fight off his back he's probably going to be on top in some way you know it'd be interesting to see how uh, ken shamrock deals with that but they end up going to the ground i mean the judo guy slumped to his back i i, I was kind of baffled by that um yeah maybe I, I don't know maybe he felt that he was going to be comfortable on his back but i thought he would have played for a top position but he kind of went down on his knee which is bizarre from a, such a high level judoka like that so that was one of the things that disappointed me and surprised me in it um but yeah there was, wasn't much to say about it ken shamrock was very patient um you know protected himself from damage waited the right time to pass uh, to half guard to do uh, more con you know concussive strikes um and eventually christoph uh, i think he knew he was out of his league and, and tapped out uh, before any real damage got done to him, I think he knew he was not going to win against Ken. Yeah, he knew he couldn't. Uh, he wasn't going to get out of that position. I think. Um, yeah. So next quarterfinal was uh, Harold Howard, who um, was a karate guy. He was quite well known. He was also uh, jujitsu as well. Um, yeah, I don't I think was... BJJ jujitsu. I think it was traditional. No, it was just it? Tr uh... traditional jujitsu. Yeah, he mm. um, he fought Ro Roland Payne, who was a Muay Thai fighter. Uh, he yeah. beat him in 46 seconds by a mm -hmm. knockout. Um, yeah. I thought Harold Howard actually was the most impressive fighter in this tournament this time around. Um, yeah. Obviously, we'll discuss why uh, Royce Gracie and Ken Shamrock weren't uh, in this particular tournament in a minute. But um, what did you make of this this bout? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, well, it looked like uh, Roman Payne had some kind of you know uh, wrestling skills. Um, it wasn't just the tie box. It looked like he could wrestle somewhat. Um, Harold Howard 
I don't think had any not true wrestling ability, but um, he did really good things. He was grabbing hold of like a guillotine type position, obviously had some form of submissions in his game with the uh, traditional jiu-jitsu um, and was flipping him over um, and mm. kept, kept kept any ground scenario, um, kept it all really active and, and scrambly. Um, and then he lands uh, uh, one good shot, followed up by a second and a third good shot. And, and he's a big man and still like within one minute, he was thrown with all his ferocity and, uh, yeah, knocked Roland Payne off his feet. Uh, a quick stoppage, which is exactly what you want in a, uh, a tournament tournament with bare knuckle. And it was a, it was a good performance. And I agree, he, uh, he looked like a dangerous man. He's a big man, 6'2", what, 230 pounds plus. Yeah. Big, big dude who, who's got some sort of all-rounded skills. I mean, he's not a pedigree striker in no. today's standards. And um, and certainly at not this time. Well, though, I think burst. he was pretty good. Yeah, but at that time, um, yeah, I think you know he, he's got some skills everywhere, and he's got the size and the aggression to to be um, a dangerous opponent for anyone. Yeah, I thought um, I when I saw this fight like the before the stats and everything, and I was looking. I thought oh, this is going to be a good one. Strike fest, Muay Thai versus karate. And then yeah. they went straight to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, next up was Royce Gracie going for his third uh, tournament win in a row, defending yeah. his double championship, if you like, sure. uh, versus Kimo Leopoldo, um, yeah. who was a taekwondo expert. There was a lot of needle in this. They did yeah. not like each other. Their teams did not like each other, mm. even before when they were uh, – announcing them, their team, uh, Kimo Leopoldo's manager, who um, he looked really familiar. I think he's someone well-known in himself. Uh, he was stood up on the apron with the team and they were shouting mm. over at the Gracies. And I thought, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. something's been um, said. But apparently he said in the press conference before the tournament that he was, you know, he, he, the only reason he was entering the tournament was to beat Royce Gracie. Um, mm, mm. And to be fair, this was the fight of the tournament. This was yeah about as yeah, good actually, as we've seen. It was actually a good fight to watch. Yeah, I mean, Kimo, obviously an absolute physical specimen. Yes. Um, a big, big man, an athletic man, and, and clearly aggressive. I mean, do you see the first uppercut he come out? Uh, he could have scooped up some serious tonnage of soil with that uppercut. Um, it looked like it meant business. But... You know, Hoist got it where he wanted to get it in the initial onset, which is in the clinch, trying to look for that takedown. But Kimo showed good balance and awareness and, and didn't make it a straightforward affair to be tripped to the ground. Um, and being that there's a you know, huge weight advantage, you know, that must have taken something out of Hoist because when he kind of was getting Kimo down, he ended up fluffing it up a little bit and um, ended up practically getting his back taken. And um, was kind of looking, you know, looking like he was in a real sticky situation. And Kimo showed some you know, some good little strategic ideas, um, not something that I think he planned, but it was just there for the taking that he ended up holding on to his uh, gi trouser to help keep him from falling off his back. And I think, you know, okay, it didn't keep him on his back for, for any huge length of time, but it was all enough to keep taking out some of the energy from Hoist. Hoist then got to a position where I thought, ah, oh, this is it. You know, um, this is going to be his moment. He got mount, but so briefly. And Kimo did exactly what you should do. And that is don't let someone settle. 
uh, their base in a dominant position like mount. So if someone gets mount, one thing you don't do is uh, take a couple of breaths before you explode to try to get out because the person's base yeah. and ready for your futile attempts to, to, to try and create a reversal. He bucked and bridged from the get-go, which is exactly right, exactly what you should do, and ends up in um, Hoist's closed and, and um, an open guard. You can see Hoist was uh, hunting for the triangle. I don't think that was a good idea. Um, you know, the people who are good ground guys out there, you know that when you're up against someone with a considerable weight advantage and they're really bulky, it's really not an easy affair to um, put a triangle on someone. And and it, you can tell that Kimo had done some kind of ground um, prep for this for this fight, which is probably why yeah, he was so defensively he was not bad, was he? Yeah, he, he had some idea what was going on. Um, and to throw up a triangle is hugely risky of getting your guard passed. Um, but then Hoist you know, literally was having to use all the tools at hand and started grabbing hold of his ponytail, throwing some you know lame-looking punches, really. Um, but I, I just think he knew that this wasn't going to be a straightforward affair and, and just had yes. to take any kind of control that he could. So he resorted to a little bit of hair-pulling. But, hey, you know the rules are the rules. He was allowed to do it. So fair play to him. Um, he started offsetting Kimo's base. They end up into another scramble. Um, Kimo's clinched up with uh, a standing back take. And Hoist again really looked like he was rushing and getting a little bit too desperate for submission and dropped back for like a hammerlock. Um, but it just was not there and not a good idea to do it on a stronger man. Um, ended up putting himself on his back again. Um, started firing up with really high hips for an armbar. Uh, wasn't looking good. Uh, um, initially, but I think fatigue had set in for Kima um, and ended up getting caught in a belly down armbar and Kimo did a very very laboured tap to the mat and looked absolutely done for but I really think that that took something out of Hoist, that match um, I didn't think he was expecting that to be as tough as it was Yeah, at some points I felt like he was quite frantically looking for a submission like almost like when Rushing. she got past that three minutes, he was well aware that oh my, this is taking mm. a lot out of me. Um, yeah. So we'll start with the the Hoist Gracie semi final. So the semi final was Hoist Gracie versus Harold Howard. Um, yeah. And Hoist Gracie is almost being held up uh, as they're announcing, you know, the the mm. introductions. Um, he looks dreadful. Uh, he looks like he's going to pass out. As I mentioned at the start of the show, he looked really bad. Um, yeah, and his corner threw in the towel before the fight, to the yeah. distaste of the crowd. Um, yeah. They tried to make out that it was a, an arm injury, but I think it was just exhaustion. Yeah, yeah, because I think they're, 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 I think they're at altitude, aren't they? Where they are there, is that, is uh, that right? North Carolina. Altitude? No, I think this one wasn't. No? I think the previous no, it one not? was. Oh, I, I was going to say because maybe that was a factor for the exhaustion, but um, yeah. He just looked absolutely exhausted. Um, it didn't look like he was injured in any form. I just think he was exhausted. Um, he did look rough. Um, yeah, he did. So, yeah, so Harold Howard gets a bye to the final, mm. um, which I thought was interesting that they didn't... It would I thought it would have made more sense to have an alternate fight, uh, you know, the semi-final, uh, than come in... For the final, but um, yeah, I, I think suppose... it's because they had already entered the, the cage. That was the issue with it. Ah, so I all, see. Okay, it, so it, it actually classed as a loss on Hoyce's record. 
I get it now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the uh, other uh, semi. Gone. Yeah, had he had Hoist said in the warm up room, look, I, I can't go out, then I think the alternate would have stepped in. Ah, but it wasn't the okay. case. Yeah. And the other semi final was scheduled to be, oh, it was Ken Shamrock versus Felix Mitchell, who was a stand in for mm. Keith Hackney, who had pulled out yeah. with a broken hand. Uh, yeah. Ken, Sh- Ken Shamrock beats him uh, via submission. Uh, rear naked choke after four minutes 34, which is another long bout compared to what we had seen in these first mm. three UFC uh, title fights, uh, tournaments, yeah. uh, fights. So we yeah. had three fi- three fights in this tournament over four minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I think Ken Shamrock just... was in two of them. So Yeah, I just think this just goes to show that people are coming more aware of what a no-holds-barred fight was all about and had some savvy on how to um, avoid going into certain realms that you know you wasn't well-versed in. Yes. Um, even with Felix, I mean, Felix come out from very, very, it looked like um, Frankenstein coming out with his arms stretched out or was like a zombie, really, really strange sort of guard. But he did have some awareness and um, and some concepts of base. You know, um, Ken Shamrock's, uh, you know, a pretty decent wrestler, um, was unable to just get Felix down. Felix really made a, a fight of it. But um, I, I really just sensed the confidence and the composure of Ken. You just knew that he knew that this guy was, you know, not of his level, but he weren't rushing it. It wasn't like what Hoist did. Um, Hoist was really trying to rush everything. It's like Ken had really thought about how he was going to approach this tournament, conserve energy, not get himself injured. Um, yeah, you know, did everything really, really well. Um, and, and it was quite an impressive performance. Okay, uh, you know, the other guy is not of any level in, in the sense of MMA, but... Ken Shamrock was really patient. He did get him to the ground, mounted him, made him give up his back, and um, and then was well, it was game over with a rear naked choke. Yeah, he had no no prayer from there. No, and I thought actually uh, the difference in Ken Shamrock in this UFC to UFC one, you could see a massive massive improvement in his all round yeah. game, and yeah. obviously you start to see the the beginnings of how he be- went on to become such a big name in the MMA mm. world sure. uh, for a few years here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the final was scheduled to be Harold Howard versus Ken Shamrock. Yeah. Ken Shamrock was injured, pulls out with yeah, the fight. Yeah, surprised me. What was before. the injury? I can't remember. Um, they didn't say. Um, yeah, this really surprised me because it looked like he protected himself from any kind of injury. So whether it was a niggle on a knee, who knows? Um, and but yeah, even, cons- even in the notes, it doesn't say what his injury was. It says what everyone else's injury was. It doesn't say what his mm. was. Um, right, so I yeah. don't know. Yeah, because I, you know, had he been okay, um, I think without a shadow of doubt, he was set to win this tournament. Yes, a £60,000 winning purse. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So the final then went from Harold Howard versus Ken Shamrock to Harold Howard versus Steve Jenham. Who was mm. a, uh, a sorry an alternate? Uh, he's a police officer who trained in ninjutsu. Mm. Uh, I beforehand thought Harold Howard's winning this all day long. If Steve Jennings a you know an alternate, mm. I'm not expecting him to be at the level of the at this point most impressive person you know so yeah. far in the tournament. Uh, yeah. And Harold Howard looked quite good for about a minute. Yep. And then all of a sudden, Steve Jennings turned him around, submitted yeah. him with some brutal punches. And the, 
the police yeah. entered yeah. the ring and that's yeah, 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 he did. Um, you know, Howard Howard had had his opportunities, nearly got a, a yeah, standing guillotine, and was doing it really well. He had high elbow on it, and it looked deep. It did look deep. I think if he stayed keeping it standing with that guillotine, he probably was going to get the win there. But he kind of slumped to his back in a yeah, yeah, and that gave uh, Steve Jenner yeah. the opportunity to roll out, like roll over through it. Yeah, that? he did. Yeah, they end up in half guard. They end up scrambling back to the feet, and um, you know. Again, I was still, you know, would initially thought it was going to go Harold's way, but um, not the case. They clinched up and got, he got tripped with a nice little trip back, um, got mounted very, very easily, um, started receiving some shots there. And um, I don't think he wanted any part of it. I think he, no, as soon as he took a couple of those, couple yeah. of those shots to the nose and jaw, he didn't want to know, did he? Um, yeah, yeah. I was impressed by the way Steve Jenham uh, rolled through that. Uh, guillotine choke um, mm. simply because I think that showed again that the overall standard uh, mm. particularly in terms of submissions was getting yeah. a lot better from the first UFC to the third one um, Yeah, yeah. I just thought that showed a good knowledge of or basic knowledge of you know how to get out of certain submissions because I think yeah, yeah. guillotine is kind of one of those ones where people would panic because it's you know, a blood, a blood choke, and that. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it was impressive. Um, okay, so next week we'll be looking at UFC four, um, mm-hmm. which I'm quite looking forward to. Um, I'm going to have a quick, quick little, very very quick little talk. My dog's knocking stuff over. <laughs> um, so UFC four, Revenge of the Warriors is called. Um, interesting title. Looks like Royce Gracie. Royce Gracie's back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife's just knocking over my lights. Is <laughs> the dog? Was it okay? Um, <laughs> oh, Royce Gracie. Royce. Oh, Dan Severin. So we got next week uh, in UFC four. Royce Gracie, uh, Ron Van Cleef, Keith Hackney makes a return. Uh, Joe Sun, I think Joe Sun is the manager of Chemo, the one who was That's very right, yeah. uh, vocal. So that'll be yeah, interesting yeah. to see how he gets on. I mentioned about that Joe Sun before. He ended up doing some some films. Uh, he yes, started some films, right, yeah. and I think he's in life uh, doing life in prison for murder. He looked. Uh, he was certainly. He had plenty to say for himself. Let's say that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Jenham comes back to 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 defend his UFC title. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, just um, I've just gone off the page and it's not loaded. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of other fighters as well. Um, uh, Dan Severin, I'm looking forward to seeing him because he's one yeah. of uh, my favorite uh, old school MMA guys. Yeah, uh, yeah Melton one of my Bowen, mm-hmm. a boxer, Melton Bowen, and Anthony Macias. Who is a uh, Macias? Sorry, um, a Muay Thai fighter. Uh, mm. Yeah, Joe Sun is a convicted felon, former mixed martial artist and actor, currently serving life life in prison for torture. Oh wow! In California, uh, yeah, he's a bad dude by the looks of it. Yeah, in many in about every different way you could think. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, he fought in Pride. He fought in UFC. He fought in. Pancras. Uh, yeah, he's a bad man. But he was yeah. in Austin Powers. Uh, he played 
the you know odd job from James Bond. Yeah, yeah. He played the parody of that uh, in right. ran, ran. His name was Random Task in right. uh, in Austin Powers in the Austin yeah, Powers yeah. film. So they're massive films, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, he, must have made a good living for himself, but then throws it all away, away with a villainous career. Craziness. Yeah, he was in a couple of other like MMA films and like you know mm. like Blood Fist and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, he he's got like all sorts of convictions and stuff. Um, mm. Okay, um, so just to finish off, we're going to talk Chris Gracie versus Sakaraba from Pride uh, 2000. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not looking to go into, you know, a massive amount of detail with this one. Just take us through yeah. the main points. Obviously, it's an hour and a half long. Um, one yeah. thing I did want to touch on with you before we go into it, um, Chris Gracie, basically, he uh, only agreed to take this fight if there were certain rules in place. Yeah, so I find yeah. And obviously, Pride was so desperate for Hoist Gracie to be on their show, they mm. kind of um, gave in to his negotiations, yeah. uh, which was interesting. There was uh, no time limit. Uh, there was no 15-minute rounds. And there was uh, no, uh, basically, no rules. There was no groin shots allowed. Mm. Uh, it was an open weight. Um mm. And he took a bit of criticism in Japan because he, they think, or they said that basically he uh, tried to stilt the rules in his favour. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm going to disagree slightly because um, okay. you know, you know, I, I've got to to train my horse, you know, like I've mentioned before. Yeah. And um, you know, when we got to talk. A fair bit after training and stuff like that. We're back at the other gym that we had. We had quite a nice coffee mm-hmm. shop facilities there, and we got to hang out with him and stuff like that. And I've met him numerous times and chatting with him numerous times at Bellator events that he attends very often. And um, and you, the way the Graces see their jujitsu, they see it very much uh, as a self defence. They okay. they don't see it like how we all see it in the modern day. We we all see Brazilian jujitsu as a sporting art yeah of course a very effective self-defense but ultimately it's become a very very sporting spectator sport yes and the graces don't see it like that they they see grace jiu-jitsu in its pure form which is self-defense and so i think that you know for them to express what they feel is the true reason for their art they have to have it as closely related to a street or war confrontation as possible, which I is think. to have no time limits, you know, no weights because that's the potential of the art. The, the, the design of the art is to learn about leverage to make a smaller man potentially overcome a bigger man. And with a no time limit, I think the whole strategy of a smaller man beating a bigger man is to to tire a bigger man out using good technique, good 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 strategy, um, and good strategy in place with no time limit is to to be in a good position. Uh, at, at all times and when in a bad position be in the best bad position you can be which is a secondary position which is at least closed guard um, and I just think you know initially what I saw from there was exactly what you know Hoyce's principles are to, to try and have his best position he could which he did have um, he, he had the standing back position 
partly, I think, by choice by Sakuraba, you know. I think Sakuraba was um, playing games a little bit, perhaps a little bit of mockery, uh, you know, to try and show that, hey, look, I can give up my back and, you know, I don't respect what Hoist can do from there. But Hoist was initially winning the fight for the first 20 minutes, uh, Mm. maybe even a half hour. Um, You know, uh, Sakuraba did go balls out for an e-bar that looked like it was you know, fleetingly close at one point. Uh, but we've seen Hoist get put in some horrendous submissions in the past and yes. just not even flinch like he was going to quit. I really think this man will let things break and snap. Oh, and yeah. I think he'd definitely go asleep before he... I just don't think he'd ever, ever tap out. You know, no, this is either. why I think... I think the Graces, other Graces know that, which is why you've only ever seen the tail get thrown in. This guy won't yes. quit. And... You know, getting to talk to the guy, he doesn't try to act like he's tough. But one thing he yeah. makes very, very clear, he is not into confrontation. He's not in it to quit. He, he mm. really sticks strongly by his dad's moral compass. And um, I really respect, respect him from that. I know some, you know, some people uh, you know, don't see him as an outright legend as a fighter because uh, you know, he was incomplete. But, hey, look, he put jiu-jitsu on the match, map for everyone. I would um, argue he put the not, UFC on the map, mate. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, and certainly well, they kick-started it all. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I respect him for the fact that, you know, he really truly is courageous. You know, he, he, the fight that he had against Matt Hughes, um, it, you know, it, it, he got put in the, the arm bars, which were horrible. But he showed no quitting, no quitting. And yeah. he's an absolute warrior, the guy is. He really is. Um but yeah, so yeah, there's a chance of, of an e-bar. Um, it never happened. Then it was the end of uh, one of their 15-minute rounds. Um, and again, you saw a lot of clinching up, a lot of patience from Sakuraba. Not a lot getting on. You know, Hoist is not a great wrestler, and, and Sakuraba is a pretty, pretty good wrestler. You know, he certainly knows, uh, you know, knows what being a wrestler is all about. It was not easy for Hoist to put him on the mat. And so you end up with these long durations uh, standing. And, uh, you know, I feel like the gi was going against Hoist as well. Because um, you get a couple of like points where Sakurab was breaking free and looking super dangerous with the strikes, but Hoist would try and smother it. But I think, you know, for Hoist to try to get Sakurab down, the gi just looked like it was hampering him. Um, it was actually helping uh, Sakurab at times. Um, but some of the strikes, some of the explosiveness from Sakuraba was quite frightful. Uh, he's got such horrible leg kicks. And, um, you know, not the best p- boxing mechanics regards his reference point of guard. Um, he doesn't mm. hold his hands. But he throws, you know, really sharp-looking dangerous strikes. Um, I'm just trying to – I'm just zipping through because it was such a long fight. The, um, um, yeah, it does go to the ground. Yeah, there, there was a guillotine opportunity, wasn't there? Um, yes. Hoyce had a half guard. Uh, at the end of that second portion of the round, but nothing really materialised from there. But then it started to look like, well, you know, Sakuraba is no longer going to play. He's going to start putting the pressure on Hoist. And it started looking really more and more and more uncomfortable for Hoist. Yeah. Um, it was clear that Hoist was unable to, to get it to the ground. Um, it looked like he was going to have to start striking it out. But the thing that impressed me again with Hoist is that he did have some striking to his game. You know, clearly he knew 
that uh, it was not just going to be a ground affair. And, and he had some reasonable looking kicks. I mean, he's quite a gangly man. Um, so he, he's never going to look really pretty with his striking. But, you know, he landed some all right looking leg kicks and was throwing some OK punches to try and get in the clinches. Um, yeah, yeah, he hit, yeah, he tried to hit a couple of high kicks as well. Um, yeah, yeah, he did. Do I, just circling back to something you said about the gi. Uh, I did. I felt the same because a couple of times he had Sakuraba in the clinch in the corner, and it looked like he could progress or maybe uh, get him in a trip to take him down to the floor. And Sakuraba was using the gi uh, to gain leverage himself to keep his balance. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just, uh, you know, you, you wonder if he hadn't had that ability, would he have been able to have just been tripped in that position? Yeah, um, yeah, I do yeah. also. I do think uh, there was an element to Sakuraba's game plan that he wanted to show in those that first twenty minutes, half hour, that he could defend uh, Gracie's jiu-jitsu. Yeah, because then he seemed to like start smiling and having a bit of fun. And yeah, yeah, at points, yeah. not he was not making. Picked... He, he was he was trying to make a point, a statement. Oh, absolutely, not to the extent. Um, in terms, like there was points where it was reminiscent of the Royler Gracie fight, but not yeah. quite to the extreme extent. Like that Royler Gracie fight was, which we talked about last week, was uncomfortable at times because it was just yeah. leg kick after leg kick after leg mm. kick, and Royler yeah. kept going to the floor and kept going to the floor for this yeah. crab position, to the point where it kind of got to the point where you thought, is he going there because it's hurting so much that mm. he now can't stand on it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there was issued. I thought there was points in this where it's similar, not the same. Um, you know, Sakuraba's got so much power in those low kicks. You could see mm. even someone of, you know, Royce Gracie's uh, pain threshold and stature. A couple mm. of them you could see really hurt him, and he was limping. You know, later on in the fight, which you know yeah, any yeah, he was. any human being would. And you know, these this went and this fight went ninety minutes. They were 15-minute rounds. 15-minute yeah. rounds, that's the length of a UFC non-title fight. And that's yeah. just a round. So when you put it into that, you know, that, uh, mm. you know, that context, I think it's, um, it's a very impressive from both men. Um, yeah, yeah. It went 90 uh, minutes, but it finished yeah. in sixth, sixth round. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just craziness. Uh, and the, the, the towel got thrown in by the corners, yes, didn't it? Yes, yes. Um, but there were some really creative moments. I mean, this is a thing with Sakuraba. It's his creativity. Um, there was a that part jump where... In, uh, the yeah, jump the jump, knee. jumping guard. Uh, but it also, he pulled... He got hold of the gi uh, in, the clo uh, in the open guard, pulled him up so he's almost upside down, and then was punching him through there. He did that several times. It's just, you know, he always bought something new. He grabbed when he, when um, Gracie's on the floor and he's like looking for an up kick. Yeah, um, he would grab Gracie by his ankles and mm. like pull his legs like to not oh, to pin it, not to pin him, but like pull them so they were almost in a position where he could pin him down with his legs, yeah. like back yeah. on him, yeah. just so he could get a different angle on the punch to come down through his legs. Um, yeah. Which again, it's that creativity and that just that thinking of things differently. Mm, he obviously mm. jumps guard, which I always find is so explosive. And yeah, um, you know, he's a big guy. Uh, is Sakuraba? He won 
uh, you know, Sakuraba is no slouch. I know some, he had a reputation in America at this point um, because he had been a professional wrestler, like, you know, WWE sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, He didn't quite get the respect, I think, that in the MMA. But, you know, he won the UFC Ultimate Japan Heavyweight Tournament. He won yeah. the Kingdom $1 million, yeah, a million, do- million yen tournament. He yeah. won, uh, you know, he, he beat the Gracies, uh, you know, he beat Royce, he beat Royler. I think he beat Royce, beat him in the next fight, didn't he? Uh, yeah, later on. Um, so yeah, it's been it's yeah, very, he, he very dislocated, impressive. He, he dislocated Henzo's arm as well. That was a really good fight. Um, Henzo Gracious, I love watching Henzo fight, but yeah, um, he, he threw Henzo down. He had that back take position where he's allowed. Sorry, is the yeah. Henzo fight is that before in, in the timeline? Is that before, uh, before uh, or no, after? I think, that was after. Royce... I think that was after. It was after. Um, and so, um, so, I really so thought the next oh, one would be Hoist and then the Henzo fight for us to. I believe, talk. yeah, yeah. I and um, you know, I actually thought you know, or Henzo, you know, is much more well-rounded. He started landing really nice leg kicks on uh, Sakuraba, and um, yeah, it looked like you know he could match him a whole lot better, but. You know, Sakuraba just, you know, with that creativity that did a, you know, horrible looking arm lock, totally dislocated. But, you know, true to, to Gracie toughness, you know, he didn't tap out even with his elbow dislocated. No. It's quite something. He's a bad, bad but, dudes. Um, yeah. But Paul Hoyce, yeah, he ended up having to be a bit of a kickboxer in this fight and um, he started looking really tired. I think, again, that gi was overheating his body and and because uh, i know hoist has got really good cardio he's always been a very avid fitness fitness guy you know always runs you know i think he, he runs something like he runs something crazy like 10 mile a day um so you know he's got really good cardio but i think that ghee i think it was must have been getting wet getting hot on him um it sucked the water out of you as well and hold the water um i think that started affecting him in the fight he started looking looking just really uncomfortable um, I think there was just no way, again, that he was ever going to quit, whether it was going to be a submission or, or, or anything else or exhaustion. I think he'd just keep on going. But I think the corner, I think the other graces just know how tough he is and know he's perhaps a little bit too tough for his own good. Uh, they ended up obviously throwing in the towel, as we know. Um, so here's a question for you. Obviously, in the UFC 3, which we just talked about, mm. uh, we discussed how... Uh, we think that the reason they threw the towel in before the semi-final was because he was completely exhausted and he looked like yeah. he was going to pass out. That mm. was from one four-minute bout. Mm. Uh, now, that was, uh, I think, six years earlier, maybe mm. longer. Why is it that at that point in time, a four-minute bout like that, which was back and forth, it was a, you know, mm. a close bout, exhausted him to that level, but then mm. he went and fought for 90 minutes, granted with breaks in between rounds. Yeah. But, you know, like you're talking a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It could leave you scratching your head a little bit. But look, you know, we could surmise any circumstance and any situation that may have been there. You know, maybe he was maybe he was under the weather. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. You know, it could be he, had, he, he could have had a cold or just started getting one on that day. And, and, and maybe that makes you feel deflated. Um, I know sometimes when I'm training. I'll have a day where I'll just like, oh, I, don't know, I feel really exhausted today. I just, my cardio just wasn't there. And then, you know, over yeah. the next day or two, I, I'll end up with a stinking cold. Obviously, something is brewing in my body. 
you know, maybe mm. just things weren't ticking on all cylinders for him on that day. Clearly, he can do it. I mean, for anyone to fight for an hour and a half. I mean, we do um, we do five fives on uh, on the ground, and then we do five fives in in the cage. I, I must say, I don't do all of them anymore myself, uh, mm-hmm. quite that much. But you know, for many many years, that's what we were doing, uh, and that, that's that's incredibly tiring. And that's you know pretty much an hour of activity. They did it for an hour and a half with spectators watching them. Um, you know, where they're going full bore. I mean, we're just merely sparring. I mean, they're, they're going at it. Um, so, yeah, incredible for both athletes, really, to, to have performed that duration uh, uh, and that length of fighting. Amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, so I've mm. just been checking the dates uh, of the Gracie fights. So mm. the Gracie, Gracie, uh, Royce Gracie, Sakuraba rematch uh, was in 2007. Oh, wow, the, quite a long time after. Yeah, and the Henzo uh, Gracie fight seems to have been uh, from just double checking now, uh, two thousand at Pride Ten. Ah, so we'll do so next week. We will do UFC four, uh, Henzo Gracie versus Sakuraba. Yep. And the what was the other one I said? Uh, Joe Kazagi versus Bernard Hopkins. Yes, good call. Um, so I'll call, I'll send you um, some well, if I can mm. find them. I'll send you some links. Obviously, UFC four will be on the uh, UFC Fight Pass in full, and the others I think are on YouTube. Um, but yeah, I'll send you links if I find them. Um, guys, as well, I would say watch them yourselves, and then use us as a as a post fight show. I think it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I've had a few people text me and say, you know, they've been watching watching along, watching the fights, and then or watching the card, and then watching our show afterwards, and they found it enjoyable. It gives them their combat sports fix as we're in this difficult time where we've got no live sport, let alone. You know, combat sports, we've got nothing. No football, no combat sports, nothing. So, you know, get involved. Join us. We might do a, a little giveaway soon or a little competition. So, um, best way to support the channel, best way to support the show. Um, for the last eight weeks, we have grown. We've done, I've, we've downloaded, we've had more downloads every week for the last eight episodes of the Danny Batten Fight Show. So, can we make it nine weeks in a row? I would be absolutely thrilled if we can continue our growth. We've got bigger each time. Um, and please drop a comment on Instagram or Twitter at AceCast underscore Nation. Tell us you've listened. Tell us you've watched. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us what fights you want us to uh, you know, to cover, what classic fights. They can be MMA or boxing. Um, obviously, at the moment, we're working through the UFC shows. We're going to keep doing that until we've done them all. Um, so we're going to do that even when the live shows come back. Um, and then we're picking a couple of classic fights from boxing and MMA to talk. At the moment, we're working through the Gracie-Sakuraba feud, Gracie family-Sakuraba feud. And um, we also might have uh, some special videos coming soon, which my myself and Danny are going to be working on, uh, which will be completely different to what we do with the Danny Batten fight show. 
um, they'll be specifically aimed at YouTube or social media, short 10-minute videos on uh, mixed martial arts or boxing or whatever it may be. But you'll have to wait and see what they're about. Uh, mm-hmm. Danny, thank you for joining me, my friends. It's, I've enjoyed yeah. it a massive amount again. Yeah, yeah, me too, Sai. Classic. Joe Kazagi. what a boxer. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Legend. Put on a clinic. Um, guys, may I ask you a favour? Can you all go to youtube.com slash acepodcastnation? You need to be signed in with your Google account and subscribe. Just press the subscribe button, then click the bell. It's completely free, but it helps us out massively. If you can subscribe to the channel, click the bell, and then what happens when you click the bell is every time that we upload or we put a new episode up or we go live, you'll get a notification sent to your your mobile device. Um, And it just helps us go higher up in the search engines when people search MMA or Joe Kazagi or, you know, different things on YouTube helps us go up. And if you want to be really, really kind, drop us some comments in the boxes below in the comments, either on YouTube or Instagram and that. And um, if you're feeling massively, massively generous, generous, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes. Links below in the description. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Danny, thank you. It's a late one for us, but not for the people. (laughs) Next week, we'll watch another Joe Calzaghi masterclass. And it was Joe Calzaghi, one of the greatest ever. Podcast Network.